On this episode of Fantasy NFL Today, we have our very first guest. He is a dear friend of mine that I used to work with at the NFL Network. He is the host of the Money Mitch Effect and the host of the Tennis Channel's Inside In podcast, an Ohio native, and knows everything there is to know about the final team we're breaking down out of the AFC North, the Cleveland Browns. We're talking Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and even Austin Hooper. You won't want to miss this week's conclusion, and it all starts now. to Fantasy NFL Today, presented by HoopBall. Today is Friday, July 9th. I am your host, Anthony Germain, and you can find me on Twitter at the Talking Sunday handle. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-G. Talking Sunday, all one word, on Twitter. And we have a very special show for you today. We're wrapping up the AFC North, and it involves us heading up to the dog pound, the Cleveland Browns. And folks, I promise you, I can't talk about the Cleveland Browns without my very first guest on the show today. I worked with him for a couple years at the NFL Network. He's the host of the Money Mitch Effect, the host, or the Money Mitch Effect podcast, I should say, the host of the Tennis Channels, Tennis Channels Inside Out podcast, an Ohio native, and knows more about the Browns than anyone I know. He is Mitch Michaels. Mitch, welcome to the show. Well, first guest, I'm really excited. You got most of that right, and uh, I don't. I think I feel like you just don't know many Browns fans. I'm honored to be your Browns expert. Um, I think it's fitting. I'm the first guest on this show. Paul Brown basically founded the NFL, so I'm seeing some symmetry there. But uh, it's good to talk to you. Congrats on the show. Uh, I'm excited to dive into uh, whatever you want to talk about because this Browns team has been the most exciting of my lifetime. And I'm over 30 years old, so that tells you about the franchise for my life. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of what I wanted to get into here. So, you know, I got to say, um, out of all the teams in the NFL, being a Browns fan has to be probably the most frustrating slash sufferable things to endure. Uh, maybe outside the Jets or Lions, it's been a rough go for Browns fans. I think you would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, uh, Lions are the only one that's comparable because the Jets have had runs to like the AFC title game. And I mean, they haven't won anything. And I'm not saying that as a slight because we really haven't either. But, you know, they the Browns and Lions are the only two teams that really just haven't really accomplished anything until for us, you know, last year, really. So, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting time that the Browns are actually good for whatever reason. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because I actually forget about the years when Rex Ryan was with the Jets and Mark Sanchez. It's like that that whole organization was just kind of goofy overall that I guess that my brain just kind of skips over that. And <laughs> yeah, they definitely the- they definitely put their best foot forward under uh, Rex Ryan for sure. Yeah, so that so like you were just saying, they they had their first playoff appearance since what was it 2002? Well, uh, last uh, yeah, yeah, 2002, that was the first one. Uh, there's been some bad luck in there. Like, they had a 10-win season where they didn't get in, but last year was the first time, um, you know, another right, head coaching they, change. But you, you're going to hear me say his name a lot because I just admire him in a lot of ways. But Kevin Stefanski, oh, yeah. I mean, just, wow. My, I just, I just, sometimes I just get lost in his eyes, honestly. <laughs> Zach, the, he is a little dreamy there. He is a little dreamy. 
So the Browns did get eliminated in the divisional round, in which actually ended up being a pretty close game once Patrick Mahomes left the game uh, with a, uh, I don't think it was a serious injury, but it was enough to knock him out of the game. But nonetheless, it was a great season for the Browns, and it seems like they're finally heading in the right direction under great leadership. Like you just said, Kevin Stefanski. Um, so, you know, before we get into the, the fantasy talk, you're going to have to run me through just the overall uh, raw emotions and general vibe of the Cleveland fan base because it's been too long uh, now that the Browns are on the right path to just brush over and, and, and get into the serious stuff first. Yeah, I also want to give a shout out to it. I mean, Stefanski has been great, but Andrew Barry has built this roster up and and that's equally, if not more important than what Stefanski is doing, um, you know. The coach before, you can get into all the terrible coaching hires and the ownership side of it, but everybody knew that Freddie Kitchens was a disaster and that they just promoted him because they didn't really want to go through that process again. But it's funny, right, how, like, there was another head coaching change. They went year to year to year, but now because it's a good one, no one really cares how many coaches they had. This is the first time that, you know, there's some stability there, some some optimism. And I think what you're going to kind of see with the fantasy side of it is, it doesn't always translate to the best performers. Like the teams that are maybe loaded or have options, you can't really really rely on them from a fantasy perspective, which makes fans like me more excited, but people on the fantasy side are going to say, well, the Browns are better, but who do they have that I can re really rely on in a fantasy performance? I will say, though, that this team has weaknesses. I'm bullish, but I'm not. I mean, the AFC, I think, as you probably would agree, is pretty loaded this year. I think there's a right. lot of teams that are going to be in the mix. I'm just happy the Browns are one of them. I could see them making a push for the conference. I could also see them having a really tough first-round game, first-round playoff game potentially on the road because the division is going to be no slouch either. So it's exciting to just be in the hunt, in the mix this year. Right, and that's kind of what happened last year. The Browns, although they finished, I, was it a ten and six record last year? Yeah, yeah. They and then they and they they finished in uh, third, right? When the Baltimore, the Ravens kind of snuck up there and. The, the, yeah, all three of them got in last year and uh, with that extra playoff team for sure. But, no, they were – you know, it's interesting too when you talk about like this Browns team and, and the optimism here. One of the things that I love about the NFL, but I'm going to maybe eat my words this year, is that the scheduling always makes you prove if you were really a legit team. So right. you have this schedule that might be a little weaker. I think the Browns was pretty solid last year. But the NFL is like, okay, this is the darling. Now we're going to give you Chiefs primetime week one. We're going to give you a lot more national recognition. We're going to make the games harder. So they really do a good job of making teams prove it, making them earn that recognition. In 2007, the year the Browns went 10-6 and six and missed the playoffs, 2008 they are like, okay, primetime games, whatever, and they went 4-12. and 12. It was a disaster. Right. Derek Anderson, Brady Quinn, enough said. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I don't, I don't really see that disaster um, on the horizon here they, they've done a lot of things uh, in the heading into this new season um, but not so much on the offensive side of the ball free agency was dominated with new acquisitions on the defensive side of the ball headlined with linebacker Jadavion Clowney who is now a great pair to line up across the side of Miles um, Garrett making a nice duo for rushing the quarterback there and then the draft being absolutely one-sided outside the selection of wide receiver Anthony Schwartz from Auburn. I got to say, I was shocked that they went completely defense during the offense, like uh, uh, during the offseason, like one hunt, like basically 98% defense. I wasn't because if you were, to, if you would have asked any Browns fan last year, biggest weakness was I think linebacking crew was really bad. 
bad for a team that right. was trying to go somewhere. And interior, it was just Miles Garrett. So he was a beast. He was amazing. You know, unfortunately, got COVID and that slowed him down. But we didn't have that second pass rusher. I'll also say, you know, they go corner in the first round. And I think it was Newsom. And I think that the thing with the secondary in the NFL now is that you need multiple bodies there. You know, there's no, there, these, these offenses now, as you know, are just so spread out and there's a lot of receivers and running backs are lining up at receiver and making an impact that, you know, I saw the criticism that it was a nickel back. It was, you know, it might not even be a starter, which may not be the case because he's having a good uh, rookie camp and whatnot. But I mean, you need depth in the secondary because as we see, one guy goes out, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, the second that backup comes in, it's where's Waldo. I'm going to punish this kid, <laughs> make him cry on the field. And his family will never forgive me. And that's what that's what happens. <laughs> so I think uh, I think the Browns' defensive strategy was good. It does put a lot of expectation on the offense to duplicate what they had last year because it's basically the same team. We'll see what happens. Right, and the offense was was very productive. Um, and I get not wanting to really mess with it too uh, too much, but just even to add depth on maybe the offensive line, which by the way was a fantastic unit last year. Um, or just another receiver if, you know, Odell Beckham were to go down again, you know, give Jarvis Landry another option. Well, they did add Schwartz, so – but I, I don't know. It was, just, it was just very shocking that it was that much defense, that heavily involved with the defense acquisitions. It's like look who you're competing against too, though, to get to, to, get to just the AFC Championship game, let's say. Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. I mean, people – it's a hot-button topic, but he puts up numbers. Tannehill – I mean, you have to be able to stop these guys. And I think Andrew Barry, I think the correct estimate, we'll see if the players work out, is that our offense is good enough to compete. We can we can score with some of these teams. But if we tried out the same defense as last year, it's not going to be Super Bowl good. It might not even be division good. So you have to try something there. Clowney, just one moment on him. I'm fine with it. One-year deal, prove yourself, no long-term commitments. You have the salary cap. You, you want to also prove to a fan base that we're in it to win it. You're going to have to gamble mm -hmm. sometimes. I mean, we love gambling, me and you, but you have to gamble <laughs> sometimes. Maybe to too. <laughs> Maybe to a fault. But yeah, it seems it seems that Clowney has become that player now, the, the just the one-year rental for most teams. After Houston, he's gone to Seattle, um, then to the Titans, and now with Cleveland. Uh, very serviceable player, and yes, it's I agree with you. He, it's sending a message to the fan base that you're in it to win it. It's Super Bowl or bust at this point. So I, I also agree and like the signing of Clowney. Yeah, and, and I think that from the offensive perspective, one of the biggest keys to this team, and when we get into the fantasy side of things, you'll see that heavily influence, is that it was the best line they've had in, in, de in decades probably, and they're all back. So we know injuries can happen. There is actually some depth to the backups there. But having some stability on the line, we know it can change quickly. Like an injury, a guy loses a step, and suddenly a good line becomes a bad one. But that's right. crucial for whatever this team accomplishes is going to be the success of the O-line. And they were really good last year. All right, Mitch, let's uh, switch gears here. Let's get into the nitty-gritty of the fantasy football world since this is a fantasy football podcast here on Fantasy NFL Today presented by HoopBall. Um, again, here with special guest Mitch Michaels on the show. Um, so let's start with the leader of the team, the quarterback, Mr. Progressive himself, bringing you America's best insurance, Baker Mayfield. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. So so Baker's coming off his best season as a pro, 
he finished with a 95.9 passer rating through over 3,500 yards, 26 touchdowns, and eight interceptions. Uh, much of this can be attributed to one of the best offensive lines in football, like I was just speaking about. And in fact, Pro Football Focus actually has them ranked as the best. Number one overall line <clears throat> heading into this season with all five remaining starters coming back. But even with that impressive performance from Baker, uh, he finished just outside or just inside the top 20 overall quarterbacks, number 20 overall, just ahead of guys like Jarek Goff and Teddy Bridgewater, which isn't really what you're typically looking for from a quarterback one on your roster. So as we head into this season, I think it's fair that his current ADP is sitting at around a mid-11th round pick, the number 18th overall quarterback. So Baker's basically going just ahead of guys like Carson Wentz, Kirk Cousins, and rookie quarterback Trey Lance in San Francisco. Um, do you think Baker Mayfield is worthy heading into this year, coming off that success, second year in Kevin Stefanski's offense, is worthy of rostering as a quarterback one? Or do you think he's more of a quarterback two um, for you know people that like to draft quarterbacks earlier in the league, like, in a, in a fantasy league like myself, or do you think we should take a gamble on him at QB1? You know, I, I say this as someone who's watched Spurgeon win, Ken Dorsey, Bruce Gradkowski, and all those other Browns quarterbacks that, that have been on that jersey. You know, I, I really do like Baker Mayfield, the steps he took last year. He's not a quarterback one, and I don't think you can really count on him to be a quarterback one for a lot of reasons. Number one being this system is run heavy. Not just Chubb, but Hunt, obviously, everybody knows. And when backups, when they've gotten down to the third and fourth string guys, they still run the same type of run-heavy offense. And with a line, it's kind of easy to see why not. And I just keep going back to the fact that Stefanski's whole game plan is kind of out of that Kyle Shanahan tree. His job is to make the quarterback's job as easy as possible. Clean pockets, right. play fake, he, play actions. He doesn't necessarily lean target dependent on any, on any one receiver, on any one read, really, but... More often than not, I think the biggest growth that he took was eliminating those interceptions through 21 two years ago. You know, when he got that number down, cut it more than in half. And I just mm -hmm. think that I don't see the upside for him as being a top 10 quarterback. And I actually don't think the Browns do either because that's not good for what this team wants to accomplish. If he's out there slinging it 40, 50 times a game, the picks are going to come up and the run game is not going to be established. So I would say he's going to be a spot starter this year. I don't see him as that top 12 guy. And I just, as a ceiling, I don't know that he ever really gets to that top 10 range. But that, again, that's okay for what this team wants to accomplish. Because the completion percentage has been solid. It hasn't been great. He's about 62, 63%. Right. I think they just got to make sure that he, I don't want to say game manager, because he can, fling it, he can sling it and he can complete big plays. But I just don't think a consistency fan standpoint for a fantasy player, you can rely on this guy to be your week one starter and, and play him you know, 12, 13 of your games. Right, and I, I tend to agree with you. I'm out on QB1 um, for two reasons. A, he also doesn't have the athletic ability to avoid uh, pass rushers when the play breaks down. Everything needs to kind of go perfectly for him to deliver the ball. And B, the whole Odell Beckham holding this offense theory is a bit worrisome because it's pretty evident that it could be a real thing, right? Yeah, well, 
if you want to look at it from like the best case scenario for Baker, like how is he a top 10 receiver or how is he a top 10 quarterback? It's Odell Beckham has one of his iconic years, like those first three giant years. He hasn't been a top five fantasy receiver since 2016. So, right. so that's, and I honestly don't think that's the best case for the offense is to have Beckham be share heavy. I mean, you watching enough of these games, I like Baker. He throws an accurate ball, but he has a lot of receivers wide open a lot of time. And that is a credit to Stefanski's play calling and the fact that you have the best running back duo in the NFL that teams have to respect the threat of. I think that for this team to succeed and for them to keep it going, it's going to be like a only one ball theory where they're going to mix it in. Chubb's been a consistent rusher, but if they're if they're getting if they're running the ball 35 times a game between Chubb and Hunt, the Stefanski loves life. Like he just loves what's happening. Baker is not going to be taking as many chances. I think you're going to see more of that throughout the year. I mean, he's never been higher than, I think last year he was 17th quarterback, roughly. That's about as high as it's been for him in three years. And quarterbacks can make a leap. It's possible. But after three, four years, you kind of know who these guys are, right? Like you kind of know what the ceiling is. Right. I agree. I just, I just, there's the theory that when Beckham's in the lineup, that Baker is trying to overcompensate and feed him the ball to keep him happy. And, you know, Baker had his worst season as a pro in 2019, the year that they signed Odell Beckham. And then I found this interesting pro football focus nugget. I know I'm like a big PFF uh, lunatic over here. But on uh, in the quarterback annual report, P- pro football focus claims that from week seven through the playoffs, Mayfield was actually the second highest graded quarterback in the league. So that got me thinking. When did OBJ go down with that season-ending ACL injury? And it was week seven. So if you take his 2019 season and then 2020 week one through seven, all that time with OBJ, statistically Baker Mayfield has not been great at all. But at what point, I mean, it's hard to answer for OBJ because like in his mind, he's still the best receiver in the game. And I, and I respect that, uh, that mindset. But at what point, like it's been five years, like, and you have your boy Jarvis Landry, which I actually think keeps him more checked in, is that he's such good friends with Jarvis and he doesn't want to sabotage, you know, his situation either. But at a certain point, like I don't, I give everybody the benefit of the doubt, especially pro athletes that I haven't interacted with and I don't know. But this Mm -hmm. team is the best chance that Beckham's ever had to achieve something in the NFL. And if he, if he's, complaining about the ball and not happy and willing to kind of throw that all away, then that would say a lot about him. I'm not saying that's where he's at, but I think he has to kind of, I don't want to say accept his role, but you know, look, you're, you're a, you're a factor. When he plays that Cowboys game last year, he was incredible. He is a game breaker. He's, he's streaky, but you have to understand too, that you're also going to be a decoy a lot of times because defenses can scheme out one receiver and the Browns are okay with that. They have other options. So I think that, I agree with you. Don't depend on Odell Beckham Jr. and Baker's in a much better situation. But I also don't think Stefanski wants to just feed him the ball either. I really do think that his plan of attack is we're going to spread the wealth and we're going to keep the defense guessing. Yeah, and it's kind of – I know you referenced Stefanski's scheme to what Kyle Shanahan does, but, you know, Stefanski spent a ton of years in Minnesota, and, you know, you got to think he brings over some of that. It's the same type of thing that they run in Minnesota where they just feed the rock to – Dalvin Cook while spreading it out to these receivers on the outside, but it all is predicated off that rushing attack. Yeah. I mean, look, 
Uh, I keep coming back to Beckham. Hasn't been a top 15 receiver in five years in fantasy. So not doesn't mean he's not an impact player, but you know how these drafts work. Name value, overpriced, whether it's auction or, or, sta- or, or snake, you know how these drafts work. And exactly. Would you and end up with so- Would you end up with Beckham on your team at fair value? Absolutely, but he's going to go higher, most likely. Right. Exactly. He's a celebrity within the fantasy football community. Uh, he's nine times out of ten, somebody will overreach for him. You know, if you have twelve people in your league, there's always one guy. You know that. Right. Exactly. So, so let's stick on Beckham here for a little bit longer. Uh, his current ADP sits as a mid sixth round pick, which I actually think, the more you mention it, that he hasn't been a top. Uh, a top receiver for the past five seasons. Uh, this is his lowest ADP since he's broke onto the scene with the Giants. He's being drafted behind two rookies that haven't even played a snap in the NFL, uh, Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith on my Philadelphia Eagles. Um, so I think I already got the answer here that it's this isn't disrespectful where he's, where he's going. No, that's uh, this fair. Year. That's fair. Like, if you're sitting mid-six, sure. Like, and I do think he can be an impact player. But where do you think you're in a couple leagues, I'm in a couple leagues, where is he going to go? It's not going to be mid-six. Somebody will take him earlier. Yeah, I, I, I don't see anybody being crazy and taking him in the fourth. Maybe the fifth, maybe a round earlier. But the, really, you think? You I think, think fourth is? I think fifth is more likely. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's celebrity. You said it. Big name value. Yeah. And there's a lot of marks out there. There's a lot of jabronis that play fantasy football, so you know. <laughs> but here's the thing. You know, I, I rostered uh, OBJ uh, uh, one year, and it was super frustrating But because I think I got him the year he uh, rolled his ankle, broke his ankle on the Giants. It was second to last season with the Giants. But he's usually good. I went back and looked. He's usually good for 1,000 yards when healthy. Um, but that seems to be the problem nowadays. You know, in the seven seasons that he's played in the league, he's only made it through two full seasons healthy. So – you're really banking on him to stay healthy as he's act- and as he's starting to climb in age a bit. Some of his injuries are fluky also. Like the one last year, it was chasing down an interception and just kind of awkwardly diving into the pile, and that's how he tore his ACL. And there is a little Julio Jones into it too where he plays the lion's share of games, but he gets banged up, he misses a few, and then when he comes back, what percentage health is he at? We don't really know. So that would... That would scare me too, but uh, his upside is still very, very elite. And I had I've had him before. Uh, I'm not opposed to having him again. I just think this is this is also a wait and see approach. He's coming off of a major injury, and we don't know what that's going to look like and where he's going to fit in of an offense that, as you said, was rolling when he wasn't in the lineup. Right, and the injury happened in week seven. So is he, I actually didn't look into this, is he going to be available come week one? It's going to be, they say camp in a couple weeks. He's going to be about 100%. So, yeah, he'll, he'll be available. Um, okay. But it's the rust thing. It's getting back into it. Um, you know, I don't think any receiver likes to get tackled. So we'll see what that first hit <laughs> sounds it feels like. But Okay, so we're. So we're both in agreement that wide receiver one OBJ is out of question and could possibly be a solid wide receiver two on your team. Um, But let's move on to the actual wide receiver two of the Cleveland Browns, Jarvis Landry. Uh, He's also entering the year around the same age as Beckham, 29 years old. Um, Now, he used to be a great option in the PPR leagues uh, during his time in Miami, but hasn't quite claimed that same status since joining the Browns. His current ADP is sitting as a late eighth round pick. 
around guys like LaVishka Chenault in Jacksonville, Marquise slash Hollywood Brown, and Will Fuller. Um, so he led the he actually led the team in receptions and yards last season in 2019 and with a health or with a healthy OBJ. Uh, so now he that he's not getting those hundred plus receptions like he was in Miami. Is Jarvis being undervalued here, or does this feel right as well? This might be me showing my bias, but I do think he's undervalued. And and if you look at his Miami years again, who did Miami have? Who else was making plays? It, it's you go to, you put a good player on a bad team, his numbers are going to go up. But I mean, we've seen that in certain cases for wide receivers. I don't think he's going to get to 100 catches ever again. That's kind of insane that he was able to accomplish that. But I think that he has been the safety blanket for Baker in a lot of these situations. I don't think his apex is elite. Obviously not at the wide receiver one position. He's just going to consistently produce for you, I believe. He's been pretty healthy. The biggest improvement in his game is cutting out those drops. A couple years ago, he had 11 drops. They still come around. like That's oh, wow. still a concern. But he had a lot that. of drops, and he's gotten better at that. And Baker, I mean, Baker throws a pretty gnarly fastball. That's for another discussion. But I think that Landry is Landry's as safe as it gets on this Browns offense outside of the running back position because you know he's always going to factor into what they do, especially at the goal line. You get those short receiver routes. He's great in the slot. He's great getting separation. And if you're betting on Beckham not being full health, maybe not being happy, He's the guy that kind of steps up when Beckham's not there or not a big part of the game plan. He's who Baker leans on a little more. So I would be very, very uh, bullish on him in that eighth round, eighth round area. Some of the other receivers that you named, I would, I mean, easily, I wouldn't say easily, but I would definitely take Landry over them. I think he's as solid a number two receiver as you can have on your roster. Right, and I, I, I completely agree with all those points you just made, um, especially like we just talked, if Odell Beckham is not going to be available for, for times during the season, having Jarvis Landry step up and be that number one guy, super valuable. There. Well, here's the um, other thing, too. Sorry to cut you off, but he only had three touchdowns last year, which was an abnormally low number, and he was still producing pretty solid. Right, so we should look for that to drastically improve. Yeah, even if he gets to um, like six or seven, that's like an insane you know, double of his total, and it's still not like at the elite level touchdown catcher. So, and if we're getting Jarvis Landry as a late eighth round pick, possibly uh, early ninth round pick, you know, at this point he's you're looking at him as a wide receiver three or just a bench player or a flex player you can throw in there. And like you said, what you where you really uh, hit hit home here is consistency. He's probably one of the most consistent wide receivers. He'll always get you. Like I I can't remember having Jarvis Landry on one of my teams where I opened it up and I'm like, oh, wow, he only got two catches for, you know. You know right, like he's not, if, you're down, if you're down 20 plus, he's probably not the guy that's going to bring you back. Right. But yeah, it's a solid performance. Uh, he gets open. It might not be deep downfield, but he gets open. Yeah, and you know, what he, you know what he actually is the perfect kind of player for? Is, is your bye weeks. If you have, uh, you know, you know uh, one of your wide receiver one, wide receiver two on their bye weeks, you plug him in, he's good to get you like eight or nine points. It's when you look at the roster, when you feel like you're overmatched and you're like, all right, I just got to figure out a way. I need I need my opponent to be off, but you're just trying to do the math. Like, how can I come up with like 100 <laughs> points? You can pencil Jarvis exactly. in for like 12 or so. Like, oh, he's good for 12. All right, I need the other 80-something. Yeah. Right. Okay, so uh, I think as far as the wide receiver department goes, o OBJ and Jarvis are your main guys there. Um, now, the Browns do have a plethora of other receivers. Rashard Higgins, uh, Anthony Schwartz, and Donovan Peoples-Jones all are going either extremely late in the draft by a 
you know, an owner that's either bullish on one of these guys. But for most leagues, they're going undrafted. Do you think any of these guys hold any value? Uh, not in the draft, but I will say that based on how this offense schemes and how Baker has been playing and showing trust in them, they're perfect for flyers. If one of Landry or Beckham goes down, pick them up. You've got to figure out who's going to be the primary guy, and that's a topic I'll get to in a second. But they they basically run the same offense through those guys. Like they, They're interchangeable. They're not as good, but they're going to step right in. Higgins was supposed to be the guy, and I think he actually got hyped up a little too much. I would say Peoples-Jones. There's been a lot of buzz with him maybe taking that next step and being a solid number three. Schwartz, as you mentioned, like it's going to step in from Auburn. But I think there is a lot of trust in the depth of the receiver position. If a guy gets injured mid-game and, and if a guy misses a week, they're not changing the offense. They're running what they run. So I would say keep an eye on it. Don't draft them. I wouldn't roster them first, being honest, but they're they're perfect to step in. Some teams have a trouble, like when a receiver goes down, they can't find anyone to step in. I don't think the Browns have that problem. Right. I would agree with that. So these are these are more guys to keep an eye on your waiver wire. Yeah, and they will I mean you look at the you look at some of their box scores, it just steps up. Like Peoples Jones had some monster games where people were like, How how did this happen? What you know, in the game that Beckham got hurt, torn ACL, he caught the game winning touchdown. Uh pretty deep pass there. So I think their waiver wire, uh, nothing really more um, because, as I think we're going to get to, this is going to be a run, run heavy team. Yeah, so let's just let's let's get into that right now. So as discussed a little earlier on the pod, the Browns' offensive line is returning all five of their starters, and Pro Football Focus has them ranked as the number one line entering the 2021 season, and where they really show their true power is in that rushing attack. Uh, Stefanski, uh, we talked about, you know, brought a little bit of that run scheme over from the Gary Kubiak zone run scheme uh, over there in Minnesota for all those years he spent. Um, so who's the back, back to own here? Because on one hand, you have the option of taking Nick Chubb, whose current ADP sits as a mid to late first round pick. Or you can wait and grab Kareem Hunt, whose current ADP sits as a mid fifth round pick. And both of these backs finished as the ninth and 10th overall running backs on the season. And I know that Chubb missed a few games. I think he missed about four games, but he still led the Browns in rushing yards and touchdowns on the ground. So what's the play here, Mitch? The play is Nick Chubb. He is just, I mean, I don't want to gush over him too much, but he's just like full of fight milk and ready to just take over the, uh, the season this year. No, I mean, consistently, <laughs> consistently speaking, you're going to find a hard time finding a more consistent running back than him. I know there was the injury last year where he missed four games, and you just have to accept the fact that running backs are going to get banged up throughout the season. But he's been a bull whenever he's played. Uh, 37 games out of a possible 41 that he started, and he averages five yards a carry. Last year it was a touchdown a game. He doesn't fumble the ball. I think there was only one last year. But the biggest thing for me, and this is the, this is the thing that I keep harping on, 34 carries over 20 yards in his career. Since he's coming to the league, no running back wow. has more wow. than that. So <laughs> I think he yeah. checks all the boxes. And I think the fact is, look at his game score, that one touchdown a game, it pretty much averages off that. There isn't the three, four monster touchdown games. He's just going to consistently produce. I think he's going to only get better this year. And I think Hunt's going to be used, but that's where maybe his receiving skills come into more play. And, there was just kind of follow up on that. I think Hunt is more of a, I don't want to say handcuff, but like he is the, I mean, he's the best handcuff of all time in, in this sense, but 
He is a solid running back, too, even with Chubb in the lineup. But Chubb's the guy. He's the workhorse. He's the one that makes this offense go and makes everybody's jobs easier as, as a result. So you think even with the split carry, and it's not even a full split carry, it's Cream Hunt is still going to get probably, a, what, seven to ten t- touches a game? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think last year, like the yards from scrimmage, if you look at that, it was about like 1,400. I know it was weighted with the Chubb injury. But even if you took, right. even if it was 11, 1,200 yards from scrimmage, he's going to contribute, especially around the goal line. Because you think about, I mean, just watching a lot of these games, Chubb will run him down there, big log run. Okay, time to sub out. Obviously, he's a little winded from running 40 yards downfield. Right. Hunt comes in and, and picks up the scraps. You know, he moves in after completion. So that's where I'm at with, uh, with, with Kareem Hunt. And I think that his ability as a receiver, I mean, how long ago was it when he was one of the best running backs in the game? Not, not very long. I think his mm-hmm. ability as a receiver to split out and to just be a force in the backfield, in the shotgun, or as a receiver makes him valuable as well. Yeah, I have to agree. I'm in the same boat as you. I do think Chubb is worthy of as your RB1 on your team. Um, I agree. He's just, I mean, a lot of people want to gush over Christian McCaffrey's and the Dalvin Cooks of the world, but... It's McCaffrey, uh, Cook, Kamara, right? Is that who you're seeing as the top three right now? No, Kamara's a little further down. Um, three, I, I believe, is Saquon. Mm. I think. I, you know, I, And I'm pulling most of my ADP rankings from Sleeper because I, I find them to be a little more uh, re- realistic than your Yahoo's and ESPN's of the world. I um, I just wonder because like okay I mean you haven't said Henry yet and people are gonna say he's- oh wow yeah you're right it's, it's so it's Christian McCaffrey Dalvin Cook Kamara Derek Henry Jonathan Taylor top five so you don't do you think Chubb is a top five running back top five no not for fantasy in real life yes I would put him in there because every we let's just put it this way every year there's gonna be the injury-prone guy or the guy that doesn't achieve or something funky that happens. Now, Saquon Barkley, I have a lot of concern with based on his history. I feel right. like Chubb is the, – the floor is higher. Like, I think he's right at five. I think when this comes out, it's going to be four to six. Like, he's not going to be a top three running back, I don't think, but, like, he'll consistently be there. And I just feel like your, your risk is a lot lower taking a guy like that. Yeah, I feel like I kind of answered that question really fast. And the more I think about it – um, I'm, 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 I'm looking at Christian McCaffrey to have a big rebound year. Uh, Dalvin cook pretty much lasted the, almost the entire season last year. And we know his history as well. So that's one back that could go down. Um, Kamara will probably be right around where he should Derek Henry's usage over the last two years. True. I mean, he it falls off for these to... running backs. Like it does like, right. And we, and it's not, it's not that, you know, we're predicting injuries or like, you know, it's and I almost hate to not draft a player because you think he's going to get hurt, but it, Derek Henry is pushing his luck here at this point. Um, and then, yeah, Saquon Barkley, like you already said, um, I'm also looking for Zeke Elliott to to kind of get back up into that upper echelon of running backs. You know, Zeke's still really young. I feel like he's been in the league for like ten years, and I just looked. Up, I think he's only like 26 years old still. So, so I'm, you know, I'm not ready to write off Zeke. A lot of people are down on him, but I could totally see what you're saying, how Nick Chubb, you know, he can find himself in that top five. I just think that consistency should matter in fantasy football. And I know we mentioned gambling a little bit ago, but if you're drafting in that range where, you know, what would it be like a six or seventh? I mean, maybe five, five to seven 
Chubb is a pretty solid option to take because you just pretty much know what you're going to get when he's in there. He had the injury last year. You have to be fair. He didn't miss four games. But every time he played, he produced. I think there should be something to say about that. Right. And then just one thing to hit on Kareem Hunt. You said you don't want to call him a handcuff. Um, If anybody's taking their starting running backs handcuff in round five, uh, that might be a bit of an issue. So I think with the with Kareem Hunt, when we're drafting Kareem Hunt, he's he's most likely on most teams going to be somebody's running back too. Which I that to me just for somebody that's going to get seven to ten carries a game as RB two is kind of scary. And now as a flex player, we can talk. So I do think that Kareem Hunt might be slightly overvalued here. He was a little touchdown dependent too, Kareem Hunt. Like you talk about the the scoring. I mean. For as few carries he got, he had 11 touchdowns last year. You know, five rushing, or six rushing, five receiving. Is that going to happen again? I mean, can you really? I think touchdowns is the one thing where it's like, how can we forecast a high total every right. year? Things happen. Right. So I would be cautious about that. I think he's perfect to have on your roster in the flex spot, knowing that if something were to happen to Chubb, you've got a guy that could come in and then you know just have the lion's share of carries because Stefanski. Keep, I mean, I keep saying it, you know, once, twice, three times a lady. Stefanski is going to run his offense <laughs> with who he, whether or not the starters are in or whether or not it's backups that have to step in. So, Right, and it's working, and it's great, and I don't think any Nick Chubb fantasy owners will be disappointed with that, or even Kareem Hunt for that matter. But let's wrap up the fantasy talk here with uh, the last position here at tight end. Um the only tight end being drafted by the Browns is obviously would be Austin Hooper. Um, he became the highest paid tight end last season, went from finishing as the sixth overall tight end with the Falcons to the 21st overall tight end with the Browns. Um, it was a difference of 64 points too, which is kind of a big deal in the tight end world considering how rare those premium tight ends are to find. Um, so his current ADP is, is listed as a late 12th round pick. Um, could we see Hooper return to his early Falcon days or are we, you know, are we going to see more of the same from what we saw last year? I mean, how do you predict this position, right? Like (laughs) like we're at a point now where we've been, people like us have been playing fantasy football for over a decade and we, we know less about the tight ends than ever before. Yeah. The only, the only, the only guys we really know about are your Travis Kelsey's, your Wallers, your, you know, Kittles, but everybody else is just. I almost feel like someone should do a strategy where you just take one of the, you take that guy first overall, you just take him early, and it, and it wouldn't be you know proper value, but you figure I could build the rest of my roster just knowing that I have that guy, you know, and and the dominoes may you know, fall. Some people do that. I've seen in some leagues now whether I that's think that's safer than doing a receiver way, picking a receiver way higher or a quarterback because at least you have a premium on a position that doesn't have depth. So anybody that's been listening to my show so far, the I'm very I I'm cold on tight ends. I usually don't get my tight ends till around you know ten, eleven, twelve. But only because only because if you take a if you take a Travis Kelsey in the first round, you're falling you're falling so far behind in the running back depth, and that's what in my opinion you really need a strong stable of running backs to win your leagues. Like people will make the argument that they they get hurt a lot, so you know, there's there's a couple uh, theories out there for fantasy football, like the zero R, zero RB strategy. And they're like, well, they get hurt all the time, but that's exactly why I like to get my running backs early and often. So if I get a tight end, and then my you know 
Travis Kelsey in the early first round, and it's coming back to me. And my first running back is like, uh, I mean, I don't even know, like Najee Harris from Pittsburgh. You know, now I'm starting to gamble. I I agree, and I also think that Hooper is someone that gets hurt a lot. Also, um, the Brown side end position, much like the other positions we talked about, Injoku's still around. He demanded a trade. He realized he wasn't going anywhere. He wants to be on the team now. There's a mess there. Harrison Bryant's still getting reps too. I would stay away, other than like you said, the late. The, where he's positioned is fine. I don't think we're ever going to see him be that guy. When he was the number one tight end in football, I'd have to go back and look at the tape. I'm pretty sure Julio Jones wasn't around for much of that, and it was a Falcons team that had a horrendous defense where Matt Ryan was just right. chucking the ball down, down, having to score 30 every game. And Good again, point. the touchdowns were a big part of why he was number one that year. Uh, so that being said... This position is so thin. I think he's going to get options to produce, but you can't count on him as much as you can count on any tight end out of that elite, out of that elite status. So, no, he won't be number one, top five, but worthy of a start, worthy of a spot starter. Absolutely, why not? Just roll the dice. All right, that's good information there, Mitch. Uh, let's move off the fantasy talk and let's kick it to the fun stuff. Something you and I are very familiar with, the betting market. Um, so one of the first things I like to do uh, preseason-wise when I when I start to look into this betting stuff is I like to run through their every team's schedule with a fine-tooth comb. Um, after breaking down Cleveland's schedule, I have them at about a 10-win team, and I like to do that before I actually look at the win total. And that's exactly right where the win total was. It's at an over-under of 10.5. Um, I think the division will still be a really tough out for them. Um, and I also have seen a lot of really tough non-division road games. Uh, they opened week one in Kansas City, which we'll get more to that more into that game in a moment here. Uh, they'll also face the NFC North. Aaron Rodgers in Lambeau on Christmas. I think it's a night game. Night Is game. Aaron Rodgers going to be there? Uh, you know, if you would have asked me that question a month or two ago, I'd probably say no, but it's looking more and more likely that he will be. Uh, you're also going to have Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson in Minnesota, and maybe a revamped Bears team with yours truly, Justin Fields might be on the, I mean, that's, that's going to be in Cleveland that game there, but you know, your local Buckeye quarterback there. Well, did you look at the, at the, did you take into account the fact that we're 17 games now? Cause that's been throwing everybody off. So the Browns were 11-5 yeah. and five last year, 10.5 win total. would put them actually at a worse season if they just cleared that, that hurdle. But the schedule is tougher, as you mentioned. So I, I would stay away. Win total t- props are tough because a lot of weirdness happens with divisions. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm, more, I'm more on your bets for playoffs, divisions, uh, you know, obviously Super Bowl and whatnot. But win totals are tough because you even see teams that – maybe build that bridge like the, the rest of the division implodes and they kind of just coast to the playoffs. I would lean towards them, them clearing that hurdle for sure. But I think the real value is at them to win the division at that plus 145 range. I don't, I don't, it's hard to write off Pittsburgh, but what is Ben Roethlisberger at this point in his career? What are, what's their identity going to be? They got Najee Harris, who I absolutely loved in college, but that line is just terrible. Like, it's just not very good. They lost uh, They lost uh, Villanueva, and that was basically the, the roster moves was they lost the starter. So you're coming down to Baltimore and Cleveland. They always play tough games. Uh, Lamar Jackson does have his way with the Browns, unfortunately, but I think the defense is better than it's been. So I like the Browns' chances to, you know, they say they split that, and then it comes down to who can just 
you know, hold serve and maintain. So I like the Browns to win the division. I think they finish at about 11 and six with the schedule being tougher and uh, week one against Kansas. Well, the Green Bay game that you mentioned will be interesting. I don't care if Aaron Rodgers is there, Miles Teller, his new fiance, whatever. Like the Browns will be okay <laughs> in that one because I think that there is some real turmoil going on in Green Bay. I'm not picking them to beat the Chiefs week one, but I like the points. And I think the Chiefs, as you might have noticed, are not the best at, protect, at protecting those backdoor covers. They leave the backdoor open a lot. So that's where I lean in that game, where I think it'll be a, a Chiefs win by about three or four. Okay, so yeah. So looking at the DraftKings odds here, um, the Browns are a close favorite for the AFC North. They're sitting at about plus 145 with the Ravings, with the Ravings sitting a notch above at plus 125. Um, for me, if... Even if I like the Browns to win the division, which I actually don't, uh, never been a huge Ravens fan, but I do like the Ravens this year. Tell me your thoughts. Tell me three good things about Hollywood Brown. I have nothing good to say about Hollywood Brown. <laughs> First of all, his name, again, I said this before, it's just nobody should have a nickname in the NFL until they've actually done something. Uh, you think you should Hollywood's be Hollywood Brown slash Ant Antonio Brown's cousin? That's why people know me? You think yeah, that it's, just, it's just... Yeah, I don't. I, you know, the guy, the guy kind of drives me nuts. But um, the odds at sitting at plus one forty-five, even if you like the Browns to take, it's just not. They're, they're not high enough for me to sit on for you know five months of football before I get paid out. Um, so to me, there's nothing really interesting there. And like I said, I do like the Ravens, but again, those odds are even lower at one twenty-five. The Steelers is interesting sitting at plus four hundred because again, they're just a pedigree team that you you know they can they can honestly win at any given year so i wouldn't put too much on the steelers winning the division but i do like the plus 400 odds i think that's good value and like i said on yesterday's show not even close to being a winning team yet the Bengals are sitting down there fourth at plus 2000 yeah i look i know jamar chase was a great college receiver people and are I, obsessed I like, with that I like, joe, I like joe burrow a lot i really did but <laughs> he did. is going to get slaughtered behind that offensive line. This guy's coming yes. off of a torn ACL, and you take a receiver? Like, like, right, what a we, luxury pick. Like, what, like, what, what are we – no, I was like, okay, fine. Like, good luck, Joe. You're going to need it. And if you listen to yesterday's show, I discussed this. It's basically what the Cowboys did the year before when they took C.D. Lamb. When they really desperately needed a cornerback that year, they took C.D. Lamb. When this is worse, though. It was evident then that – Yes, this is worse, I will say. But it was evident that Michael Gallup was a blossoming receiver ready to burst on the scene, paired up with Cooper. You didn't really need C.D. Lamb. You have to have you, you have to protect your investment. Like, you have to keep him upright, especially coming off of a huge injury. The, right. But the Bengals are, I mean, Taylor was kind of what the Sean McVay friendship hiring run of 2018 when everyone's like, oh, this guy had a, this guy had a cob salad with Sean McVay at the... Right, anybody that, that breathed the same oxygen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Th those guys went to uh, you know an adult bar together. Let's let's hire this guy. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that happened other than maybe Cliff Kingsbury, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So again, um, I think the best value there, and I don't, I, I, I don't think the Steelers are going to have a good year at all. I think they're kind of going to pick up where they left off. But I do like the plus four hundred. I would also um, just say as well, just one other thing to add. I know you're not. I don't think you're an over under type guy in the NFL, but. I feel like this happens with teams and the Browns might be in there where sometimes the overs get like 
overvalued. Like the line gets set so high. The Browns had a lot of close games, wins and losses that were low scoring last year. So I'd just be well, mindful yeah, well, of that. They had they had a couple games at home there up in that right on the on the water uh, where the the weather conditions were terrible. So that's something to keep in mind, you know, as we get into the November, late November, December, January time of the year for for Browns. Um, but let's just hit real quick again on that week one game. Um, you said you liked the points, Browns plus six. Um, so, you know, I, I have to disagree with you here. I actually think Kansas City is a dangerous team to bet against, especially early on in the in the year. Andy Reid has never bid one of you know, one of these guys to, to, to necessarily hold his cards close to his chest. He kind of just opens up his new playbook in the beginning of the season. And he's like, here it is. And he's just dropping bombs on everybody. And it's just, they always come out. I feel like it's slaughter people week one. And I think this line would be fair if it was on a neutral field, but at but home. I think, but I think we, especially week one at home, all the fans are going to be back. I know Kansas city had some fans last year, but the, we're talking full capacity stadium now. I'm expecting that stadium to be absolutely electric, and I would I would actually bet on Kansas City up into a minus eight, minus eight and a half even at my 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 cap. So I I think there's a lot of value to be played on KC minus six, but you know I don't know if your Browns your Browns biasy here is is playing into factor. But well, to be to be frank, I'm a full blown homer, and if they win this game, I'm gonna say Super Bowl for like the next six days straight, but. My football side analysis says the Chiefs line got significantly weaker and the addition weaker than last year. Yeah, I, I do think they're not. I mean, they, they completely revamped that line. I don't think it. I think they're going to have some issues protecting Mahomes. I think there's some some deep rooted things with what happened last year. Actually, that's a that's a very, very good point. Um, with all the new rules with OTAs and the mini camps, the one unit that actually needs that contact that they're not really allowing is the offensive line. And with a new offensive line, it might take them a few weeks to gel. And the Browns have Clowney and they have more of a rush outside of Garrett. So I'm not look, I'm not picking them to win. You may very well be right, but we see a lot of NFL games where it's 10 points late and the Browns are driving, get a touchdown. And then of course they're not going to get the onside kick because that rule's stupid now, but yeah, it's terrible. It's, you know, week one's a good point with Andy Reed. It's not quite as bad as coming off of a bye. Then I would just run away screaming if they scheduled the Browns after <laughs> the chiefs bye. but no, I, uh. I think that this is going to be a good test. And look, there's got to be a motivation factor for the Browns because, okay, people are high on you. You've got a lot to, you've got a lot of expectations if you get just destroyed in Kansas City, like they did, by the way, week one last year, which probably isn't making my argument, but they went to Baltimore and lost 38-6 to six week one. I would say, though, the difference being they came off just a brutal season, and it was Stefanski's first game in the NFL. But I don't know. I feel like this is going to be a, a good game. And Mahomes is another one, too. He was hobbled in that Super Bowl, had the surgery in the offseason. What does week one look like for him? Is there, like, a feeling out process for the new team, how his body works? I think there's some questions there, but obviously the Chiefs are loaded, and I'm not going to bet this game. I'll, I'll tell you that right <laughs> now. <laughs> I might. Um, all right, so let's just let's wrap up our last our last topic here for the for the betting market. Um, I was only able to find one player prop, and we covered a lot about Nick Chubb already. But just real quick, the over under for Nick Chubb rushing yards is set at thirteen hundred and one half yard. Um, do we like that to go over or under? I would go over, and I think if he plays 16 games, I'm fully confident. 
I just, I think this is where we also talk about how good the Browns are doing and, and where their win total sits. I think it's a good indication because if they were Chiefs level good, Chiefs level hyped, he would probably be getting some time off at the end of the season. But I think they're going to need him every single game to produce. I like that number. I think consistency is huge. Five yards of carry. I keep hammering it home. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's good. And I think the fact that he is that guy that's not going to really go for 200. He's just going to get you over 100 just about every time. And I think that's where we're at. I think he's going to consistently be there for you. And I like that. That's right. that's a good That's a good prop. I actually think it's a really good prop too because he, you know, we said he missed the four games last year, but he still finished over a thousand rushing yards. Um, so and it gets cold. It gets cold, like you said, in November and December, and that's when they need him and the, they need to just pound the rock. Right, and I know it's hard to just plug in additional yardage based on you know their average per game, which I think for Chubb, if you plug in the average per game yard wise, uh, the, for the games he missed, he would have added an additional 88 yards per game. So if you do that, he finishes last season with just over 1,400 rushing yards. So I do, you know, I think there is something to be said about the 1,300 here. I think that he is somebody that has variety to where he can line up and what he can do. He can run it off the tackle. They can move him around. They can run him in different situations. And Stefanski's skill as a play caller, I put – Kyle Shanahan is the measuring stick of just being creative and getting the defense off guard with their running schemes. Stefanski is right there. I said his name again. I don't. I just can't stop doing it. They're, you're obsessed. I like it. I, it's good to have a coach uh, the, as the fan of the, uh, the team that you're rooting for. It's good to have a coach that that knows what they do, what they're doing. Now, now down in Philadelphia, it's just a it seems like a mess at the current regime right now. Hey, I'll I'll I know it's the I know it's not the Eagles podcast, but I had a question for you. Where is this the only Eagles question I have? Where's Jalen as a QB? Where do you have him? Is he over? Oh man, I'm still pretty high. So, so I won't be getting into the NFC East until probably four or five weeks from now. Um, so I have a lot of time to still think about that. Um, at the end of the season last year, I liked. I didn't like Jalen Hurts at all. I didn't think he. Well, I didn't know. I, I, I kind of liked him, but then I'm like, oh, they're taking him out of the game. I want to see him play like in a. Well, that game, yeah, that was just a tank job to move up in the draft, which they also botched as well, um, moving back to 12 and then, you know, whatever they were doing. But um, the closer we get to the season here, I actually think the Eagles have, like, low key put together a nice team. They brought in a nice, a nice uh, group of free agents, and I actually think they had a really good draft. So I do think with the line returning with Lane Johnson and Brandon Cooks, especially or Brandon uh, Brooks on the offensive line, um, the 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 parts are there for Hurts to succeed. I think so, that's a good point, and to tie it back to the Browns from the Baker perspective, you need to. There's look, there's very few Patrick Mahomes out there, Aaron Rodgers that could just come in and just make it work regardless of what it what's around you. Now, we're not talking contending, mm-hmm. but just put up numbers and lead results. But the fact is, for guys that are maybe on the fringe, I put Baker there, Hurts there. You you surround them with talent. You give them a coach that can you know, give them the environment to succeed. That makes the difference because if you try out the right, same stuff as last year. Right, and that's the biggest problem. Year, yeah. If you try out the same stuff as last year for Hurts, it's probably not going to go good. Just like with Baker, without Stefanski and the new line, he's much more like 2019 all over again than what he was last year. Right, and the biggest problem for me is like, like I just said, all the pieces are kind of there for Hurts to succeed, 
and that makes me feel good about it. But then I take a step back and, and look at who is coaching the team. I don't really know anything about Nick Sirianni. Uh, he seems kind of to be like a goofball um, when he does his interviews and he's playing rock, paper, scissors with the rookies and whatnot. And I don't know, maybe that's good for locker morale or, or whatever, but I don't really know his coaching scheme or, you know, what they're, they're really truly planning on doing over there. But, but anyway, enough of, again, this is not an Eagles episode, but, uh, you won a Super Bowl a couple of years ago and I'm really happy for you and all Eagles fans. And I feel like Browns fans are cut from the same cloth. If yes. we won the Super Bowl, you'd hear it for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like Cleveland and Philadelphia as a city are very similar, same, similar type of people, very like blue collar, down to earth. Um, you know, football's all the all we have in that in that city. And other great sports teams. Um, you well, not at the moment. Not at the moment. That's true. <laughs> I mean, you gotta, but yes, yeah, so in the, the past, ones like that, the, the ones that want to shoot the basketball, they're they're. Right. But but football is king in a city like Philadelphia and, and in Cleveland. So, you know, it means a lot more. And I will say, you know, it's kind of funny that I was asking you the question about, you know, it's oh, it's been so terrible being a Browns fan at the beginning of this pod. But it's been it's been brutal being an Eagles fan all those years until they won that Super Bowl. You know, with Andy Reid, they went to three NFC championships, never got to the Super Bowl. Once they did go to the Super Bowl, lost at heartbreaking for him. Um, and it's been rough. But now that they have won that Super Bowl, yeah, it's, I don't get as angry or stressed anymore when they – it's just I, f I feel like I could die at peace. Stefanski turns into Andy Reid, right? Like if he becomes the guy that gets us perennially good but we don't win the big one. At first, it's like the new car smell. We'll be like, this is great, something new, amazing. But sports fans are, are fickle. We're, we want what we want. And eventually we'll be like, why can't we win? Why can't we win like Eagles fans were? So it, it, right. it's – we're still in that like new car smell. You get a new pair of shoes. It's like, wow, this is great. I actually have something good to be excited about. But yeah, in a couple of years, if we're you know staying in neutral, it'll it'll add up. And I and I again, I was happy you guys won the Super Bowl the way that you did. Uh, I know that you know now the fans are kind of thirsty to get back. But in the back of all Eagle fans' mind, you have that we won, so I can't like I saw a championship in my lifetime. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I'll do that. We'll be. I'll be in the dog pound shirtless, just going nuts. I might be roller skating down <laughs> Venice. I love that. I love the dog pound. I just love there's 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 character in that stadium that's missing in Philadelphia. It's or the Philadelphia um, Lincoln Financial Stadium is a little. I'll tell you this lack of character. One last story before I go. Just a quick one. I was at the last Browns game at the uh, Municipal Stadium when they moved to Baltimore, I was seven years old and I went to Browns Bengals. Belichick's last game as the Browns coach, they were six and two the team announced the move. They lost like the last eight games. It was a disaster. So I was at the last game with my dad, my uncle, and one of my dad's friends. We, I think we ended up leaving with the seat that game, like ripped out of the ground. But I just great. remember it was just chaos. And when the game ended, the local news reporter was doing like a stand-up hit in the bleachers. And behind him on camera, people were just demolishing the stadium. Like it was just ripping stuff out of the ground, <laughs> slamming stuff. Beers were being thrown. And see, exactly. This is this is Cleveland and Philadelphia are the same exact city. I'm telling you, that is something that would happen in Philadelphia, and probably worse. Probably worse. Yeah, this was. I know there was a lot of security there. I know it was just. It was a rough and emotional time, and they ended up getting the team right back, but. 
yeah, they're they're uh, the Browns fans were a passionate bunch. Um, football's in our blood, much like Philadelphia. I think that's probably why we hit it off that and you know pitching Kurt Warner's game show that didn't happen. But I feel like those are the moments that you know we kind of related. On. <laughs> I can't, I always forget about that. That was great. Um, all right. Well, that about wraps up our time here today, Mitch. Uh, again, he is the host of the Money Mitch Effect that can be found on SoundCloud and the host of the Tennis Channel's Inside In podcast. The biggest Brown fan I personally know, and I think you made a great point earlier that I'm probably only the only Browns fan I know, so maybe that's why. Uh, but you have been an amazing guest on the show, amazing first guest. Mitch, thanks for coming on, and uh, good luck to your Brownies this year. Anthony, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Uh, congrats again on the show. Best of luck going forward. And uh, I look forward to uh, seeing what you do with this podcast, and uh, we'll talk when the Browns win the Super Bowl. That'll be when I come on again. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Mitch. Talk to you soon. Well, that concludes our show for today. Hope everyone enjoyed the show, enjoyed our first full week of the brand new Fantasy NFL Today presented by HoopBall. I know it might sound, it might still sound a little weird to hear a football podcast on a basketball website, but here we are and very excited to see where this podcast goes in the future. As always, thanks again for listening to the show. Have a fantastic weekend and we will see you all on Monday. Monday.